0: Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Trinity, we are a multi-generational, international congregation. And we know this morning that not only are we celebrating this glorious Resurrection Sunday here, but we're singing and worshiping and celebrating with churches all over the city all over the country, all over the world. We're going to celebrate that this morning as we hear the word of the Lord. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, has been raised again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Jesus Christ is risen. On Easter Day around the world, on every continent, in every language, believers celebrate this great and victorious work of God. As they read their gospel accounts, Christians who speak German recall Jesus' own words to his disciples, preparing them for his death and promising them his return. Jesus sagte to his apostles, you know that in two days the Passover und der Gottessohn gekreuzigt wird. Ich werde für einige Zeit von euch gehen, aber in Kürze wieder zurück sein. Ihr werdet weinen und klagen, aber euer Leid wird sich in Freude umwandeln, denn wenn ich auferstanden bin, gehe ich vor euch nach Galiläa. And Christians anyround, read Paul's words in Corinthians that testified to the fact that indeed Jesus rose again as he had promised. من مهمترین حقایق انجیل را همانطور که دیگران به من رساندند به شما اعلام کردم یعنی این حقایق را که مسیح طبق نوشته‌های کتاب آسمانی جان خود را در راه آمرزش گناهان ما فدا کرد و مرد در قبر گذاشته شد و روز سوم زنده گردیدید از غبر بیرون آمد همانطور که انبیا پیش بینی کرده بودند پس از آن پتروس او را زنده دید و بعد بقیه آن دوازده رسول نیز او را دیدند سپس او خود را به بیش از پانسد نفر از برادران ما ظاهر کرد که بسیاری از ایشان هنوز زنده اند و بعضی نیز فوت اند believers who speak portuguese are reminded by words found in philippians that god not only raised jesus from the dead but exalted his name before all nations
1: por isso deus exaltou a mais alta posição e deu o nome que está acima de todo nome para que ao nome de jesus se dobre todo o joelho nos céus na terra e debaixo da terra e toda a língua confesse que jesus cristo é o senhor para a glória de deus pai
0: christians who speak afrikaans with all those who call themselves sons and daughters of the Almighty, are assured that the resurrection of Jesus is the promise of our own rebirth and new life. Dear the death, we are always buried in his death, so that, as Christus, through the wonderful death of the Father, he has worked on the death of the ook we live such a new life. Just Met Adam's darf, in word. And those who speak Slovak rejoice with all believers as they read in Ephesians that the resurrection power is a resource from which God allows us to draw. <speaking in Hebrew> To na Kristovi, keď ho vzkřesil z mrtvých a posadil v nebi po svojej pravici. Nad každé kniežastvo, moc, silu a pánstvo. A nad každé meno, ktoré, ktoré sa spomína nielen v tomto, ale aj v budúcom veku. Jesus laid aside all of his privileges as God Almighty, stooped to serve the very men and women he created, carried the weight of every sin on his shoulders while hanging on a wooden cross so that we might have life with him forever and ever. And after all of this, he rose from the grave. With our brothers and sisters from around the world, we celebrate this glorious news this morning. Christ Jesus is risen. He is risen
1: Amen. Isn't that a glorious declaration? For some of us, that declaration is not yet reality in our lives, but my prayer is that this morning um, God will speak to us and help us to see how that, that declaration is so meaningful. My name is Keith, and I am the lead pastor here. For those of you who are visiting, and we're thrilled that you are, for the last six weeks, we have been talking about reconciliation and specifically the fact that reconciliation means uh, restoring oneness, where in relationship there, there once was oneness, somehow that relationship gets broken, and then reconciliation is where that relationship is made whole. There is oneness again. And we've been looking at the fact that the story of the Bible is reconciliation, where our, our original parents... Um, were created one. They were created in oneness with God, but then they made a choice, as we all do, that brought brokenness to that relationship. And from Genesis chapter 12 through the rest of the Bible, God tells the story of how he is restoring that oneness. And the culmination of that story is the thing that, that restores, reconciles our relationship to God and enables us to be reconciled to each other is the fact that Jesus Christ was God in flesh. He, he stepped out of the throne room of heaven. He came to earth. He died on a cross for our sin, as you heard in the international uh, reading. And then he was raised from the dead that we might be reconciled to God. When you think about it, that's pretty unbelievable, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. When we're kids, we believe a lot of unbelievable stuff. How many of you, when, kid, when you were a kid, believed in Santa Claus? How many of you still believe in Santa Claus? Okay, see, that's what I'm talking about. When we're kids, we believe in, you know, the tooth fairy we believe in the Easter Bunny. We believe in, in Peter Pan and Tinker Bell. But, but as we get older, uh, the powers of reason kick in, and we we're able to say, well, th- those things are unbelievable. Those aren't true. I mean, no, no one of us would believe that there is a place in Roswell, New Mexico, where the government is studying aliens, right? <laughs> Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that Elvis is still alive. <laughs> Nobody believes that, you know, there's a Loch Ness monster or a Sasquatch or or that the Knicks will ever win a championship again. <laughs> Nobody believes that. But then but then there's there's a thing that happens where we we do believe something. And we believe it with every fiber of our being, but then it turns out not to be true, and that breeds seeds, uh, our, our plant seeds of, of cynicism and doubt. And when we when we put our, our our trust, our belief in in something that turns out not to be true, and it's and it's something we can see, it's something tangible. Um something in the world, something in a relationship, it makes it really hard to believe in God. Because we can't see God. And we can't hear God. And we don't really know if we can know God. The early followers of Jesus found themselves in this unbelievable place. They found themselves in this predicament. It wasn't easy to believe. It wasn't natural to believe. Even though they had walked with Jesus and and watched his life and listened to his words, Um, when Jesus came to the end of his life, when he was buried, there was this moment where everything they had believed was lost. In John chapter 20, we find that moment where everything began to change. The Apostle John writes this in his gospel. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now, we know who the other disciple is. Um, John is writing this gospel, um, and he's telling us what happened, but he doesn't want to say, well, well, Simon Peter and John or Simon Peter and myself. So he just describes himself as the other disciple. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Just so you know who we're talking about. She said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, who's writing this, started for the tomb. Both were running, and I love the detail here, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Important to note, the other disciple, whomever he was, that Jesus loved, is also faster than Peter. Not that he's competitive, but... Verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, way behind him, and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple... Who had reached the tomb first, you know, the one that Jesus loved, who was also really fast, also went inside. He saw and believed. And then John gives us this parenthetical note. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. See, John wants us to understand that in this moment, it didn't make sense. What they would later come to understand, in this moment, they didn't. And it is not incidental that John doesn't write his name here, but rather describes himself as the one Jesus loved. I don't know if you've ever had a, a particular feature or facet of life that became your core identity, like, you know, the well-dressed pastor. Um, Marlene's laughing because she knows that I don't... Anyway. Um, John wanted us to understand that everything he had become, everything he hoped to be, everything that mattered to him, everything that was of value to him was rooted in this fact that he was loved by Jesus. So can you imagine having your identity, your esteem, your essence rooted in this person who loves you and now he's dead? For John, that was the end of love. That was the end of hope. That was the end of life. I think it's curious, though, that they ran to the tomb. It's a detail that that we often overlook, but but it's astonishing to me that John and and especially Peter would run to the tomb because Jesus had selected 12 men to whom he entrusted everything. He had chosen them from Judas to John and he had lived life with them, he had eaten with them, Uh, they walked together, they laughed together, they talked together. And then when it came the most difficult time in Jesus' life, all of these guys that had walked with him left him. And he died alone. Judas betrayed him for, for a handful of coins. Peter betrayed him for nothing. You know, Peter said you know, I'll never deny you. And then he denies Jesus three times as Jesus is being led away to his death. And Jesus goes off to pray and he can't even get these guys to pray with him. In fact, they can't even stay awake. So how could he expect them to be with him when he was crucified? Let me make something crystal clear. If you entrust your life to me, and then when push comes to shove, you hand me over to my enemies and you watch them as they beat me and, and brutalize me. And then as they put nails in my hands to nail me to the cross, to crucify me, you walk away and leave me alone. And in my final breath, I am alone and you have des- deserted me. And then I rise from the dead. Do not come to my tomb. I'm just saying. You don't need to find me because I will find you. So that tells me something about Jesus. That he's different from me and he's different from you. these guys knew jesus because they shared life with him because they knew that he was they knew who he was before he died they knew who he would be after he was resurrected and so they ran to the tomb they ran to the tomb because they knew that jesus had one intention in this world And that was to make us whole through his love. That's why he came. To make us whole through his love. For some of us, it's difficult to believe in God, but I've come to think that it's far more difficult to believe in love. See, it's easy to believe in God and remain unchanged, but it is impossible to believe in love and not be changed. And Jesus believed in love. In fact, when people came to him and asked Jesus, of all the commands, which is the most important? Which is the greatest commandment? Jesus responded, the greatest of all the commandments, the one that fulfills all the law and the prophets, is this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? They weren't just thinking about the ten commandments that we often think about. Because the, the which by the way are, are pretty important. You know, things just go better when you don't kill each other. Um, it, life just makes more sense when we don't lie to each other and we don't steal each other's goats and, and wives. You know, the world's just a better place. But, but God wasn't, or Jesus wasn't just talking about the ten because the people who had been entrusted with these commandments decided ten was not enough. And so they added 613 more um, rules and regulations onto this in order to show their devotion to God. But the problem is, with these hundreds and hundreds of rules and regulations, if you broke one of them, you broke your relationship with God, and therefore you stepped into the wrath and condemnation of God. And so these people are questioning Jesus, and they're saying, Hey, you know, this is a lot. So which one's the greatest? Which one is the one that we really need to keep? And so Jesus doesn't just tell them what the greatest is. But he says, if you keep this one, all the rest of them will fall into place. See, Jesus believed in love. Because he knew that love restored our humanity. Love Makes us whole. Love is the standard. He knew that we'd lost our way and we'd lost ourselves and we'd moved into this space of inhumanity where we no longer reflected who God created us to be. We were created to be one, we were created to be whole, but that oneness was broken by sin by the choices that we've made that that go against God's design for us. So Jesus came to restore that oneness, and he both told us and showed us that the way that oneness is restored, the way that we can be made whole again is through love. Jesus believed in love. Isn't it sometimes frustrating when when you want to ask God the big questions of life, and he gives you just this real simple answer. Jesus, what's the, the greatest commandment? Love. All you need is love. Sounds kind of like a Beatles song. Um, another time, he told his followers, love will define you as my disciples. In John 13, 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It seems like it would be so simple. All we need to do is love each other, and yet human history proves that this is our most difficult endeavor. We we cannot find the capacity within us to love without condition. We're better at violence. We're better at injustice. We're better at betrayal. We're better at apathy. Even when we feel love deeply, we can't seem to live it out. But Jesus knows that love is the only thing that ultimately will restore our humanity. Love makes us whole again. Love makes us one again. So, why then is it so difficult for us to love? Could it be that it's because we don't really understand what love is? We throw the word around so casually love you, love that. You know, we love our lattes. We love the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, come on, Bill. We love pizza and donuts and being skinny. <laughs> Why is it that we use the same word about so many things? Could it be because we don't really understand? what love is. Well, Jesus tells us, and John writes it down, greater, loves, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then John reflects on this later in a letter that we call 1 John. He says, this is how we know what love is. The natural quest, question is, if Everything is love, but if we call everything love or we say we love everything, but not everything is love, then what is love? So John says, here it is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And, by the way, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. I can imagine John being at the empty tomb where he, where he saw and believed having the words of Jesus just come crashing onto his soul. Now the cross makes perfect sense. This is the greatest act of love. No greater love can anyone have than to give their life for someone who is their friend. So John writes, this is how we know what love is. We thought we knew what love is, but we confuse love with other things. We confuse love with lust. We say, I love you, but what we really mean is, I want you. We've confused love because we've forgotten what love looks like. So John says, This is what love looks like love looks like sacrifice. Love makes us whole again, but it only does that because love demands the whole of us. Every aspect of our being. We think we can love casually, but if it's casual, it's not love. See, there is no love where there is no sacrifice. Love is not about what I get, love is about what I get. To give. Love should only be used to express and explain that which is a sacrifice of our being, but you cannot love, or because you cannot love with just a fragment of yourself, it takes your whole self. In fact, love has to cost you everything. See, love is like a terminal disease it will always lead you to death because you will die to yourself in order to live for the other. When we look at our world, when we look at the conflict and violence in Syria, when we look at the ongoing conflict in places like San Salvador and and the Congo, when we look at the division and the, the hatred in our own country, we are reminded that we don't really understand love. But when Jesus speaks of love and that it entails sacrifice, He knows that of which He speaks. What's really strange about all this is that the thing that we long for most is the thing we also run from the most. What Jesus wants us to understand is that is that love, that thing that we long for most, will always drive us to sacrifice. And it is through sacrifice then that we are made whole. If you're here this morning, you know, Easter Sunday, hey, let's go to church, and you're wondering, well, why this sacrifice? Why would God have to come in flesh and blood and die on a cross? Why would, would he have to be brutally beaten? Well, once you understand the entire narrative of the Bible, the entire story of God, that it's driven by love, so that we might be made whole, that we might be reconciled, that we might be one with Him and with each other. Once you understand that, then it makes sense that because God is driven by love for us, it would always lead Him to sacrifice. God had to step into the violence so that we could have peace. And whether you ever acknowledge God or receive His love, if you never open yourself up to this love that is worth everything, it will never change the reality that God was willing to sacrifice himself for you so that you could know his love and be made whole friends more important even than believing in God is to believe in love because if you'll believe in love it will drive you to God because trying to love without God only leads to emptiness wanting have you ever felt frustrated with yourself because you're not able to love the way you really want to be you the way you really want to love am i the only one that's ever felt that have you ever looked in a mirror and thought who are you why would you do that I've felt that with my wife. I've felt that with my kids. By the way, my my daughter Claire's home with her friends from North Carolina. Shout out to Carolina. Um, I've felt that that with many of you. That I haven't loved you the way that, that you deserve to be loved. And I look at myself and go, why can't I do that? And the answer is because I am a broken human being. And when I try to love out of my own strength, I will always fail. And the only way that I can really love the way that God intends for me to love and the way that you deserve to be loved is for me to step into his love and to live out of that love, which always leads to sacrifice. But ironically... It is in the sacrifice that I am made whole. That's the kind of love God has for us. A sacrificial love that makes us whole. Now some of you may find that hard to believe because so many people have been speaking on God's behalf telling us that God is all about judgment and condemnation. People have been misrepresenting God for too long because they tell you what they want God to be like rather than who God really is. But God has never had any intention except for love. In fact, that's how he describes himself. Listen to the words of John again. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. How much clearer can He be? God didn't come to condemn you. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Jesus came to win you with His love. It is madness to run from God and search for love because when we run to God, we find love. John elaborates on this in 1 John 4. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us and in the three greatest words in the world. God is Love. See, it's not enough to believe in God. You have to believe in love because God is love. And when we believe in that love, when we believe in the God who is love, not only are we made whole again, but that love moves us from death to life. And that is what the empty tomb is all about. That's what we celebrate this morning, that we've been moved from death to life. John, the one Jesus loved, the fast apostle, says it like this in 1 John three fourteen: We know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. You see, once you come to know who Jesus is, you'll never be able to think of the word love without the name Jesus. Because once you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you begin to experience his unconditional love. And when you live out of that, you are able then to give that love to other people. And that is where you find meaning. That is where you find life. Why would God step into human history? Why would God take on flesh and blood and walk among us? Why would he live a sinless, perfect life and entrust his heart to us who are so untrustworthy? Why would he bring love only to no violence? Why would he allow himself to be beaten and mocked and brutalized? Why would he allow himself to be executed though he was innocent? Because he understood that there's only one way from death to life, and that's love. There's only one way to create a path from death to life and that's love. Love's ultimate manifestation is sacrifice and the cross of Jesus' sacrifice for us is the path through which we come from death to life. Only through his death do we find life. It is only through the cross that we have an empty tomb. It is only through the crucifixion that we have a resurrection. It is only through his love that we find life. And that's what we celebrate today. The path from death to life. The path from the cross to the empty tomb. Today we celebrate the love of God. The love that God has for us. And through that love we can find wholeness. We can find meaning. And we can have life. He is risen. risen, Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that not only did you tell us about love, but you showed us what it is. Lord, forgive us for throwing it around. Forgive us for confusing it with other things. Help us to see in the cross That the only path to life is love. The only way from death to life is love. And I pray, Lord, that we would see in you that God is indeed love. We celebrate that today. In your name we pray, amen.